dealing with a very lengthy chapter and I am hoping that we will cover it in one message. The reason why previously, the previous long chapter uh, is less of a, um, a task on our hands is that the previous long chapter was divided into a number of sections. Whereas Daniel chapter 11 is one whole vision, one whole prophecy. And although in our trying to understand it here, I have tried to break it down, nonetheless, you will soon see that we are dealing with a very long chapter. Uh, allow me to simply read the first four verses to start us off. Daniel and chapter 11 and verse 4, rather verse 1 to verse 4. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Now, whoever it is who's speaking there is Gabriel. Okay, so I've come forward in order to strengthen Daniel. And now, verse 2. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall rise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than them all. And when he has become strong, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of the heaven but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. That's the beginning of uh, this prophecy, or better still, vision that Daniel has. In fact, it goes on all the way to chapter 12 and verse 4. Chapter 12 and verse 4. Let's quickly go there. Chapter 12 and verse 4. <clears throat> at that time, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 12, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, that is, your people, Daniel, meaning the Israelites. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. There will be a final intervention. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. That's where it ends. And then we are told in verse 5 Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on the other. And Daniel begins to speak forth. So you can imagine, from about verse 2, right across chapter 11, into chapter 12, all the way up to verse 5 there, verse 4 rather, we have one long statement 
that is being given. Now, I need to say one or two things quickly about this. First of all, let's remember where we are. The place where we are at the moment is where Daniel had perceived that Israel was going to be delivered from captivity from the book of uh, Jeremiah, and based on that, had prayed right across chapter 9. And he seemed to have been assured that this was going to take place. And where we were previously, we noticed that, in fact, it did take place while Daniel was still alive. And that is somewhere in, towards the end of chapter 9 and into chapter 10. The background we noticed from Ezra was that the people of Israel under um, Cy Cy keep saying Cyprus, Cyrus were sent back to Jerusalem. They had begun to rebuild the, the walls and to rebuild the temple. And then there was intervention, there was persecution. They were finally stopped. And that was a disastrous time for them. Word got back to uh, Daniel and to others who were still in the diaspora, and they, it only made them seek the Lord more. What, what on earth is going on? That's really where we find ourselves. And Daniel is basically again before God, and angel Gabriel begins to speak to him. And basically, as he begins to speak to him, it's fairly evident that the vision that is given concerns a great conflict. We saw that in chapter 10 and verse 1. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. That's basically the message that he got, and uh, it's that conflict that we are looking at in this, the whole of chapter 11 into chapter 12. You will notice I have entitled my sermon, God's People Amidst Human Political Greed. God's People among, or Amidst Human Political Greed. As we make our way through this chapter, that becomes fairly evident. All the way, in fact, to the beginning of chapter uh, 12, where God finally just intervenes. He just comes in and puts everything to a halt. What is happening around is human political greed. And God's people, who themselves are not interested whatsoever in this political greed are caught up in this entire fight. As we often say in the vernacular, we say that uh, where two elephants fight, the grass suffers. Basically, that's what is happening with the people of God. They are getting caught up in this worldwide political conflict and so even at the point that Daniel is seeking God basically that's the message is being told that the reason why there is this delay and frustration upon the rebuilding of Jerusalem and upon the the building of uh, the temple is primarily because God's people are amidst human political greed. That's why all this is happening. Now, the passage that is before us differs a little bit from the prophecies that we have been reading beginning from chapter 7. You remember, we began from chapter 7 uh, seeing uh, these visions that Daniel was having. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream. Uh, we saw again another one in chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of king, 
King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. Uh, th there is a major difference between these previous visions and dreams and this one. Uh, the main difference is that the previous ones were completely expressed in what is called apocalyptic language. Apocalyptic language is language that speaks about the future, but it speaks about the future in figurative terms. You remember, there were beasts that were coming out of the waters and horns that were coming on the heads of beasts and another horn that would sort of come in between the other horns and, and so on and so forth. It was quite dramatic, but there were beasts that we were trying to say, what could these mean? And even with respect to numbers, remember, the numbers were not straightforward. The numbers were all figurative. It's the same old numbers that are used in apocalyptic language. They mean something else. Three means something else. Seven means something else. Ten means something else. A thousand means something else. Twelve means something else. And so on and so forth. That's what we had previously. And hence, even the weeks that we're looking at were not real weeks. They were symbolic of periods. However, when we come to this final vision or prophecy of this final revelation by Gabriel, we, we, we are no longer speaking in those dramatic terms. We are largely speaking straightforward prophecy. And you will notice that even actual nations are mentioned that Daniel would have been able to know of. Nations such as Persia, Greece, Egypt, and so on, are actually mentioned. And therefore, Daniel would have been able to understand what is being said. The only thing that was kept back were the names of the people, or better still, the names of the kings that were being referred to. That's the only thing that was being kept back. However, the, the predictions were so precise that what I will do when we get there in a few minutes is I will read a section of this book. Uh, in fact, all the commentaries were basically saying the same thing. The only reason why I've come with this book is because it's the smallest of all the books that I have on Daniel. And I thought it would be faster for me to read this section. But I'd like to encourage you to go and open your own commentaries in Daniel chapter 11, and you won't miss the fact that the people that are being referred to here are known by everybody. In other words, it's like the way the prophets spoke about the coming of Jesus, and were able to speak in such detail that he would be born uh, in Nazareth, in, you know, and he would be born of a virgin, and he would, be, uh, he would run away to, uh, to Egypt and uh, he would be helping the sick and feeding the hungry and so on and so forth. And finally he would die, that his clothes would be shared between people, that he would be buried in a borrowed tomb, that he would be betrayed by one of his own. I mean, all those details about Jesus are all in the Old Testament. Well, friends... Daniel chapter 11, if you were to read it from the days of Jesus backwards, you would know exactly who was being referred to in detail. So that's one aspect that I think we need to capture here, which is very, very helpful. Let's quickly go through this. 
and I don't want to waste any more time. So first of all, um, when Gabriel begins to bring out this um, revelation, he speaks about the kind of um, uh, political maneuvering that was going to come very shortly in the um, empire of Persia, in the empire of Greece, and later on in the empire of um, Rome or the Roman Empire. And so, for instance, uh, just quickly as I refer to, uh, to this book, when it speaks there in verse 2, that now I will show you the truth, behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia. The kings that in fact arose in Persia were, and I'm just reading names here which are in this book, and they are in any of your books to do with commentaries on um, uh, the book of Daniel in chapter 11. So there's Cambyses, Smedes, and Darius Histaspia. Don't worry about the names, you can always stumble across them. But there's a fourth one that is mentioned here. And the fourth shall be far richer than all of them. The fourth one is uh, Xerxes, or his other name was Ahasuerus, who most of us will know other than all those other three because he is the one who then became uh, the husband of Queen Esther. So that entire book of Queen Esther, the king who was there is this particular king, the fourth one that is being spoken of. So you can see the way the account develops there. And this Ahasuerus, or Sexis, was far richer than all the others. And we are told, and when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. In other words, as uh, the reading goes on to show, what he does is he campaigns, he raises a great army to go now and attack Greece. However, verse 3, then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And this is uh, a, a king who now arises out of uh, uh, Greece itself and it is the, the person we've all heard about, and it is Alexander the Great. Okay, so looking back from the days of Jesus, all that ties in together. However, and uh, Alexander the Great is somebody who is well known by, by all of us. Uh, we are told there that in due season, as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of the heaven, and, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Now, in this particular book, I won't want to read all of it. I just want to give you some idea of the kind of detail that is in this passage going downwards. And maybe let me first of all read the passage because you will see that there is a lot of wars, there are alliances between nations, there are what you'd call dynasty marriages where a person is being given a woman to marry primarily in order to make an alliance with them. And all this is political greed taking place as one king is trying to defeat another king in order to become a greater king and have more and more lands and seas brought under his wings. So let's just read this um, up to verse 20. Yeah, up to verse 20. Uh, then the king of the south 
This is probably referring to Egypt because south and north is referring to Egypt at the bottom, Persia at the top, and then Persia, as you saw, is being defeated later on by Greece. Greece is later on defeated by the Romans. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. And it is said that this was Cleopatra. Again, it's a name that you'll be familiar with from those years. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure arm being power. But she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. Again, notice these alliances happening all in the name of greed. Verse 7, and from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north. So from the south, we, we are done with Egypt and everything. We've gone dealing with the north there where Persia is. And he shall deal with them and shall prevail. So they are defeated there. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods and their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years, he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north, meaning there is now an alliance that has been entered between them. Then the latter, which is the king of the north, shall come into the realm of the king of the south and shall return to his own land. Listen to verse 10. His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Again, why are these the sons fighting? It's all political greed that was taking place. We read, then the king of the south moved with rage because he's been attacked. He was in alliance with the king of the north, but they've attacked. Now he's angry. Listen to this. Shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, and it shall be given into his hand. It is said that he raised an army of 1.6 million soldiers. 1.6 million soldiers to go now and attack the king of the north. Verse, uh, halfway through verse 11. Um, well, let me just begin from verse 11. Uh, then the king of the south, oh, sorry, we've done that. And he shall raise a great multitude, and it shall be given into his hand. Verse 12. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first, and after some years, he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. Verse 14. In those times, many shall rise against the king of the south. And the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision. But they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. 
and he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. Now, when I read the book, you will soon see who is being referred to here, and his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. We'll come to him uh, in a moment. And this glorious land is now referring to the Judea and more specifically uh, Jerusalem and so forth. So it's right in the center. You've got the north, you've got the south, and now what Antiochus is doing is coming also into Israel among the people of God, and what is he doing? Attacking them. And that's why I'm entitling my sermon, God's people amidst political greed. God's people among human political greed. We are told in verse 7, he shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but he shall not stand or be to his advantage. Notice, beyond this now, it is he, 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 rather than this king and that king and this king. So the story now centers around Antiochus, who was a major history, historical figure in the period between Malachi and Matthew, in the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Afterward, he shall turn his face to, coast, to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him, then he shall turn his face back toward the fortress of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. So there we have a major run of uh, history, which at this time was futuristic. When Daniel was being told, it was all futuristic. No names are mentioned. It was just kings of the north, kings of the south, kings of the north, kings of the south, and in due season, one of them attacking the people of Israel. By the time Jesus comes in, in the Roman Empire, as I said, when you now look back, your hair stands on end to realize the details that were there. I won't read the whole of this, but um, this is the way um, the author of this later book rather uh, puts it. So he speaks in terms of there is an exactness about the prophecy of this king. It is only the actual names of the kings and some of their empires that are omitted. The three kings in Persia after Cyrus were, and I already gave you those names. The fourth one, I already gave him to you. The mighty king who appeared was Alexander the Great. I've already given that to you as well. Then he says, the next stage is the rise of Egypt, the king of the south, which I've already spoken to you about. Then he says, the dynasty who ruled in Egypt after the breakup of Alexander's kingdom was known as Ptolemaic. And those are names that you see a lot between Malachi and uh, uh, Matthew. And um, that who ruled Syria, so Syria now is in the north, was known as Seleucid. Again, those are names you read in the Apocrypha between Malachi and, um, and Matthew. Uh, Ptolemy uh, Sota was the king of the south, and the prince that is mentioned is Seleucus. The daughter of the king of the south was Benis, who married Antiochus II, yet was unable to maintain herself against a rival wife, Laodis. Antiochus finally divorced her, and Laodis encouraged her sons to murder Berenice, the one from the family line who arises 
I'll skip all that. Um, I just wanted you to pick up these names. So I'll go quickly. Okay, this is the next section, so I'll skip that. So again, you can already see the, the various names of uh, individuals that are being mentioned there. The main thing that I just want us to capture and keep in mind out of that is simply this reality that was true then and remains true now. And it is this, that political power is one that never satisfies anybody. And therefore, they want to get more and more power and more and more wealth. And as a result, human life and living is best understood the way Jesus was referring uh, in Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verse 6 to verse 8. Although he was referring to the last days, but it captures something of the days across the whole of history. Matthew 24, verse 6 to verse 8. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And then he says all these are but the beginnings of birth pains. That's human history. It's about greed and greed, greed for power, greed for political power, king going against king, raising great armies at the expense of so much else in a nation in order to go and defeat another king so that he can have the freedom that he wants and make those people start paying tax or tributes to his kingdom so that he can be richer and richer and richer. The second point that I want us to notice from verse 21 to verse 35 is how often God's people get caught up in all this. God's people get caught up in all this. And as we begin to look at Antiochus Epiphanes, he's not mentioned by name, as I want to repeat here, but looking backwards from the end of uh, the first covenant into the new, he was definitely the person uh, that is being referred to here. You can't help but notice how he brings in the people of Israel, how he attacks them, how he subjugates them, and how those who were with a skin-deep religion soon compromise their faith. Those who truly know their God insist on maintaining true religion over and against the idolatry that is being imposed on the outside by political leaders. And among those that are resisting will be faithful teachers of God's word who are consistently teaching the people of God the ways of God. Let's read that from verse 20 uh, down to verse 35. Verse 20 down to verse 35. In fact, I should begin from verse 21, but let's begin from verse 20. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an ex exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. In other words, someone who's now going to all these defeated areas to go and get money in order to bring it to headquarters and therefore develop whether it is Rome or Ephesus or wherever it is, the king is Constantinople, Alexandria in Egypt, 
and so on and so forth, all these major capitals and outlying areas. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person in whom royal majesty has not been given. Now, these commentators are a little confused here because the person that had just been spoken about prior to verse 20 was Antiochus Epiphanes. When they read history, what we're about to read was still under the same Antiochus Epiphanes. And so when it is saying, he, um, in, in his place shall arise a contemptible person, it is almost as though this is starting all over again what was mentioned in the latter part of the previous section. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. In other words, he was the kind of individual who would pair up with other kings to defeat one king by flattery. You know, you are really a great king, you know, you and I need to be together and so on and so forth. But as soon as they defeat that king, he would turn around and then attack that king as well. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken. Even the prince of the covenant. Now that's important because that is now referring to Israel, the covenant people of God. And when it is saying that armies shall be utterly swept out before him and broken, even the prince of the, uh, the covenant, what it is really saying there is that even the rulers who were there in Israel were brought to their knees as well, among the very people of God. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them splendor, rather plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stay up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. So this is all about one person. And then we read, And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but no avail, for the end is yet to be, and I want you to capture this phrase because it's important, at that time appointed. The end is yet to be at that time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against, there it is, the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. In other words, he subdues the people of God. And many of them allow his idolatry. They turn him into a God and they render to him the honor that is only to be given to Yahweh. At the time appointed, again, notice that. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south. But it shall not be this time as it was before. Okay, so now he undergoes uh, quite a war 
listen to this, for ships of Kittim shall come against him and he shall be afraid and withdraw and shall turn back and be enraged and take action, notice, against the holy covenant. So it's the people of Israel now, the people of God, who seem to be in the teeth of this political turmoil. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. In other words, those that have abandoned the true faith he now brings under his own wings. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. That he's now even entered into the very temple. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. I think we've said enough on that. But, and here is the big but. Here is the big but. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. That's the major but. That there isn't a complete defeat when true religion is replaced with that which is false through political machinations, human political greed that goes even into, if I can use today's words, even into the church in order for God's people to start basically making Caesar king. The, the people who know their God are the ones who say, there's no way we can worship an idol inside the temple. You just have to kill us. You just have to kill us. And by the way, if you read what was happening in the period between Malachi and Matthew, many of the Israelites were slaughtered because of this, because of refusing to yield to individuals like Antiochus Epiphanes. They were slaughtered. Not only the people of Israel generally, but those who stood as their pastor teachers. And that's what it goes on to say here in verse 33. And the wise among the people shall make many understand Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white, until the time of the end, and there it is again, for it still awaits the appointed time. So we, we see in this second section a movement. It's not just kings attacking one another and kings attacking one another in the midst of political maneuvers, but it is primarily this concentration on the people of God and bringing them into this fight and bringing them in such a way that they should now save our end rather than the end for which they are, and going even further into the master bedroom, as it were, in order to put his own idols there. But notice three things. One, those who know their God resist. Two, the people of God continue to be taught. Some of their teachers briefly compromise and come back and continue teaching, but three, in the midst of all that, God is in absolute control. And that's why I wanted you to notice that phrase, the appointed time. 
the time appointed, the appointed time, the time appointed by who? By God. Even those kings, when God finally said time up, they must now go to their graves, bang, they would be assassinated and taken to their graves. And some other people would arise according to God's time. He was still in control. And one of the reasons why I took you all the way to Daniel chapter 12 was even that final deliverance that is being spoken of is again in God's absolute control. In the midst of all this political turmoil and political maneuvering, a time finally comes when the king of kings says, now is the time to wrap up history. It's time to wrap up history. I'm coming at his appointed time. Very well. This last section, I once, well, I'll still just read it because I think I need to read it, is still referring to this king. This king. But commentators are generally agreed that it's actually using Antiochus Epiphanes as a shadow of someone else. And that someone else is now the Antichrist. It's now the Antichrist. In other words, this last section from verse 36 to the end of the chapter actually takes us across the Roman Empire and we go into the future, a future which even we are not yet in. But let me quickly read it because uh, we just need to capture something of that. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. Okay? In other words, against Yahweh. He shall prosper until the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall lord with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Please turn with me quickly to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll just read a few verses there and you will see the obvious connection. 2 Thessalonians 2, let me begin with verse 3. It's referring to here to what is called the man of lawlessness. In other words, he is now a law unto himself. But look at the way it is put, beginning with verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. You cannot miss the fact that that's really the same person 
being referred to. Let's quickly go on then to the last five verses. In fact, it's six verses, really. Uh, verse 40 down to verse 45. Basically, although I'm reading it to you, it's like it's taking us backwards, but all it is doing now is showing how in the end all the nations get caught up in this battle. This battle that is the only explanation for it is human political greed. And then the end comes in chapter 12 and verse 1 to verse 5. But we won't get to that end today. I just want us to read how this thing now just gets completely out of control. And other nations are now being brought in. Verse 40. At the time of the end, so notice where we are now, the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries, notice that, and shall overflow and pass through. Again, notice that. He shall come into the glorious land, so again, the people of God are caught up, and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. Now, all these were not involved at first. They are now brought in also. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. So yes, it was mentioned earlier, but he's reached the south as well and brought Egypt into it. But notice there, he shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train and caught up all these nations are brought in as well. But news from the east and the north shall allow, alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palestial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, which is again Israel, it is Jerusalem, it is the temple. Yet he shall come to his end with no one to help him. Chapter 12 tells us how he comes to his end. But all up to this point, this great conflict that leaves Daniel's heart pounding, pounding, saying things are only going to get worse. And in a sense, that's where we are. That's where we are. Things will only get worse. They'll only get worse. What Daniel was seeing, or at least being given by Gabriel, was not just what was going to happen in a few years after him, as we noticed. It went right through the silent period between Malachi and Matthew. And it has gone all the way now to the end. And whereas the people of God being spoken about earlier would have been Israel, that has changed since Christ came. Now, we are the people of God. And we are the ones who are being caught up in the midst of the world's greed as different powers are amassing numbers to themselves in order to defeat one another. And one of the ways in which they can do so is to bring the church to their side through flattery, through salt and vinegar, through sugar and honey. 
our responsibility, brethren, is what has been mentioned in passing there. It will come again in chapter 12. It is to know God. That's it. It is to know our God. So that the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is never compromised. That we continue to teach it. We continue to see people coming out of the world as fruits of that gospel. We continue to see them, their lives being transformed in holiness, obedient to King Jesus, living according to his word. In our personal lives, in our family lives, in our community lives, in our career lives, in everything we are doing, that Jesus is Lord. Because the world has its own agenda, in human greed, we will still get caught up in this warfare. We will. Our task is to continue teaching this book, learning this book, and living by this book. Trust me. At his appointed time, he will bring to naught those individuals who are attacking the church, but finally, as we shall see next time, next week, he will bring to naught everything when he returns. Let's believe in him, that he's in control of all things. At his appointed time, he fulfills his purposes. Even Jesus coming into this world, it was at his appointed time. So always his agenda. His appointed time. Let's trust him for that. He is the sovereign ruler of the skies, ever gracious and ever wise. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a huge section we have gone through. And whereas curiosity, would have wanted us to fish out every historical individual that is being referred to in these accounts. Thank you that the application does not depend on that. The application is very clear to us that the world of human politics, fallen hearts, greedy for money and for power will suck us into that fight and will even want to invade the very purpose of the church that the church might serve human greed human political greed Oh, Father, help us to remember why we are here, that we are the church of Jesus Christ, that we have one purpose, the spread of the gospel, to bring more and more individuals into his kingdom, and in that kingdom to live for you 24-7, and in that kingdom to worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh God, help us to be faithful until in your appointed time you come to deliver us. May we, in the midst of all the details of Daniel chapter 11, be very clear about that important application to our lives. 
for Jesus' sake. Amen. We thank God for the message that has come.